Welcome back to another episode of The Besheras of Haskell, written by Wadia Beshera and Anthony Beshera, performed by James Beshera. Anton to America, Chapter 2. Anton, Papa Tony, was 16 years old when he came to America. According to him, he had the equivalent of about a third grade education. The reasons he left Lebanon are not real clear. Tom Beshera said there was a severe depression all over Europe, and Maurice Beshera recalls Papa talking about the on-again-off-again problem with the Ottoman Turks and their submission of the Lebanese people. Papa came to America in February of 1896. It cost $90 to come to the cheapest way, steerage, from Lebanon to New York, and it took 30 days. He arrived at Ellis Island, the way most immigrants of the time did. When he landed at Ellis Island, he was 5 feet 10 inches tall and weighed 175 pounds. He could neither speak nor write English. In order to come into America, you not only had to have paid your way to get there, but you also had to have $100 when you arrived so that you wouldn't be a burden on society. People were so desperate to get to America, they often had just enough to get here. Papa told the story that when he arrived, he had his $100, but that when he got off the boat and threw customs, he threw his $100 to another fellow on the boat so that he too could come on to shore. Papa's name was Anton Bashara Abewakid Fagali, but his American name became Anton Bashara, or Bashara, as he was herded through customs. Upon arrival at Ellis Island, Tony was told that the business That business was good in the coal mining area of Pennsylvania, so Papa went to Scranton, Pennsylvania, to peddle among the coal miners. That must have been a popular thing to tell new immigrants because Papa would later relate that while peddling door to door as he would leave one house, he would run into another peddler going in the same house. He also told of his first experience with credit. He sold some goods to a lady. When he went back to collect the money, she chased him away with a broom. Keep in mind now, that Papa could speak very little English. What an experience this must have been. To Indian Territory. Papa Tony had relatives in Porter, Oklahoma, then Indian Territory, and Holbert. Khalil Saab, married to Papa's first cousin on his mother's side, lived in Porter and Abdul Baraji, Papa's first cousin, their mothers were sisters, lived in Holbert. Abdul had a brother, Nofax, by name, And supposedly this fellow was a giant of a person and gained regional notoriety because he lived in a cave somewhere in McCurtain County. Khalil Saab wrote to Papa in Scranton telling him that the land was cheap in Indian territory and that the Indians were good to trade with. Since Scranton was crowded with peddlers, Papa decided to go to Indian territory. He worked and saved enough to take take the train to St. Louis, Missouri. He knew no one, but by now he could speak some English. He bought a 70-pound hard paper pack of goods, socks, handkerchiefs, jewelry, and notions, and asked for the railroad track to Muskogee Indian Territory. No one is quite sure why he decided to walk to Muskogee. He likely had no idea how far it was. Papa related many stories about peddling. He went from farm to farm, which were 10 to 12 miles apart. He would trade goods for room and board, and he could not speak a great deal of the English that was required for this job, and was somewhat bashful of this fact. He later recalled that he had never eaten biscuits until he came to this part of the country. He really liked them, and the, fa- and the farmers would visit. he would visit would make them for their meals. 
He later recalled that he had never he later recalled that the host would never make enough biscuits to satisfy his hunger. And he was too shy to ask for more. About the time he got to Muskogee, though, he got one lady to make him, to make biscuits three times. I'm laughing because uh, within our family, me being the youngest of five, it was kind of a running joke that pre-dinner biscuits at restaurants uh, that, that served them became basically my meal. I would eat six, seven, eight of them. Still do if I get the chance. As he peddled, he met up with other, other peddlers and sometimes traveled with them. He even claimed to have unknowingly stayed with an Indian outlaw by the name of Albar and Braggs near Fort Gibson. He also told the story of getting lost in Conchardi, on Conchardi Mountain. As it got dark and cold, he fell asleep crying. When he awoke, he followed the smell of a campfire. There were three Indians cooking breakfast. One of them had been born blind from birth. His name was Lewis and was called Blind Lewis. For years afterward, Blind Lewis would tell the story of Tony walking up cold and scared and finding them. Remember, he's 16 years old at this point. Papa was a pretty tough character and didn't mind trying to prove it. The old bridge across the Arkansas River, north of Muskogee, was called the Spalding Bridge. It was located about six miles from the Seavers Hotel in Muskogee. Papa bet a fellow $15 he could carry a 75-pound pack to the Spalding Bridge without putting it down. He won the bet by accomplishing the feat, but his knees swelled up so big that he couldn't get his narrow-legged pants off. The $15 went for a new pair of pants and for a bottle of Sloan's, Sloan's liniment prescribed by the doctor. For the rest of his life, Papa recommended Sloan's for anything swelling. Within a year, Papa had a horse and a buggy. Using Muskogee as a base, he would buy goods there and travel around to Beggs, Yale, Bristow, Wagoner, and Mounds. At one fourth of July, at one fourth of July picnic near Coweta, Coweta, Papa was selling his goods. A fellow called Papa a foreigner in an ugly manner that won't be repeated here. When Papa went after the man, the fellow shot him in the bicep of his right arm. Papa grabbed him and hit him with the same arm he had been shot in, breaking three of the fellow's ribs. Papa was a salesman of the first order, giving giving to his customers what they wanted. Man, that this book briefly goes from getting shot and still attacking a man to swiftly going into he was a salesman of the first order. Maybe uh, maybe those two traits are related. Giving to his customers what they wanted. Muskogee was the headquarters for the five civilized Indian tribes for the five civilized Indian tribes ever since they had been relocated to Indian territory by the government in the late 1800s. Every month, the Indians would go to the Honor Heights section of Muskogee to get their government subsidy. Papa and other peddlers would load their wagons with goods, go to where the Indians received their money, and sell them their wares. Papa was a very friendly and popular fellow. The people he peddled to learned to know him and love him. In fact, so much so that many of them named one of their children after him. Wadia, Papa's oldest son, worked on a ranch for Mr. Ed McKay, and one of the black fellows he worked with stated that his name was Tony because Papa had stayed with his family when he had been born. Papa learned to speak the Creek Indian language well, well enough to converse with his customers, at least. At the time, he knew it, he knew it about as well as he knew English, in fact. Later in his life, Maurice, Papa's youngest son, would recall old Indians coming by the store just to visit Papa, 
and reminisce about old times when Papa visited their homes and traded with them. It's really cool to hear about just all of the different nationalities, um, backgrounds, races that that Papa Tony would just go and stay with, and and provide business for and build relationships with so strongly that uh, they would name children after him. In 1902, Papa met his first wife, Maud Case. She was of Scotch-Irish descent and was born on November 7, 1987, Yale, Indian Territory. She was 14 years old when Papa met her when he was 22. They were married on September 28, 1902, about five years after they met. And their daughter, Bernice, was born on November 4, 1903 in Bristow. In that same year, Maud contracted consumption, also known as tuberculosis. Papa sent her to Las Vegas, Nevada. Because of the dry climate, it was about the only hope people had of recovering from the disease. She died on April 3, 1904, and is buried in Norvada, Oklahoma. On the following page is a copy of an entry into a small notebook found in Helena Karam's memorabilia. The left side is written in Arabic and the right side is in English. In May 1904, three years before Oklahoma declared statehood, the Midland Valley Railroad was laying track between Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Wichita, Kansas. They were also laying out town sites for the territory along the track. As they were building the track, Papa Tony set up a tent in what is now the town of Haskell so that he could trade with the railroad workers. The tent and its contents were destroyed by a tornado on May 16th, one week after Papa started the permanent site. It didn't stop him. He built the first wooden building in Haskell, which he kept until 1913, when he built the first. And now we get to the the image of Bernice. Bernice's mother, 14 years old, 10 months. Maybe the dates were wrong. Maybe they got married at 22 and 14. Because this that's what this is saying, 1902. Bernice, it's handwritten, so it's hard to read. Bernice, born 1903, November 4th. So not a shotgun wedding. Bernice's mother died only 16 years old. So two years later, 1904 in Cherokee Nation. It's really interesting that, yeah, it's written in uh, Arabic on the left and English on the right. He built the first wooden building in Haskell, which he kept until 1913, when he built the first brick building of the town. Brother Shikari. Tony's brother, Shikari, came to America in 1901, arriving in New York. He joined Tony and Haskell in January of 1905. According to Tom Beshera, Shikari was a pretty rough character. In Lebanon, Tom said Shikari had been jailed three times for fighting by his own father. <laughs> According to According to Josephine, Shikari's second daughter, he was he was more amorous than than pugnacious. Shikin, okay, so he was a lover as well. Shikari was sent by his father to collect some money owed to the family. Shikari was successful in collecting the money, but instead of bringing it home, he bought jewelry for a girlfriend. When he returned without the money, his father was furious. Shikari's brother Joe wrote Tony in America, telling him of their brother's problems. According to Tom, Tony wrote back requesting Shikari come to America. Shikari went into the retail business with his brother Tony and Haskell. Shikari, or Shik, married realer May Campbell, 
on February 6, 1905 in Chandler, Oklahoma. Long courtship. I don't know why that's uh, in exclamation marks, but long courtship. They had their first child, a baby boy, on March 30th, 1906. The baby, however, died after a short time. A daughter, Helena, was born on April 12th, 1907. Reeler May contracted consumption too, and Chicory sent her to Santa Fe in October of 1910. She died on December 10th, 1910 at St. Francis Hospital, Colorado Springs, Colorado, after becoming a Catholic. Her body was brought to Haskell, where she was buried. A nice moment I had with my dad, Tony, is about a year ago, we took a trip, a father-son trip, 2019, to Haskell, Oklahoma, uh, and Tulsa to just take a weekend trip to see where he was, where he grew up. He and I had never done that. We went to Haskell and we went to the gravesite of a handful of, of these family members in right outside of Haskell, sat on the bench, just sat quietly for about an hour. It was really nice. Anton marries Olga. In March of 1909, Anton went back to Lebanon. He left his daughter Bernice with her grandparents and his business with his partner and brother Shikri. Papa married Olga Karam in Beirut on October 25th, 1909. Olga was the daughter of Elias Thomas Karam. Elias was from North Lebanon and had moved to Beirut. He married Zenia Hobika and they had eight children, Karina, Olga, Martha, Alexandria, Alex, Victoria, Constantine, and George. Elias Thomas was a cobbler and a shoemaker and also a mektar, as was Papa's father. Olga was born on April 14, 1893 in Beirut. She was then only 16 years old when she married Papa. Their marriage was arranged by the Karam family and the wife of Thomas Abiwakid, a cousin of Papa's and neighbor of the Karams. Papa, upon his return to Lebanon, was considered a very prosperous individual who had become wealthy in America. Papa and Olga returned to Haskell on December 5, 1909. I actually want to go back and just check to see um, how old he was when he married. So, yeah, he was 22 and married his first wife, which is 14. Yes, that was how things were done back then. And then he married his second wife, Olga, who's 16, and he would have been 1909. So he would have been 16 and 29. Papa and Olga returned to Haskell on December 5th, 1909. Here's a photo of Anton and Olga Bashera. He is even older, even more naturalized looking. He has a, just even a cleaner suit, a less kind of facade, but cleaner suit, um, just jacket, pants, and button-down shirt with no tie, gloves in his hand, white gloves in his hand. and He's balding a little bit with a really nice mustache. And then Olga Bashara is, um, she is, she looks sweet. It's on their wedding day. So she's in her uh, wedding gown and her hair is up. She's a little bit, a little bit bigger um, than, well, I, don't know, I guess there hasn't been a photo of, of, um, his previous wife, but she is medium build.
And we have another excerpt from The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. And what of marriage, master? And he answered, saying, You were born together, and together you shall be forevermore. You shall be together when the white wings of death scatter your days. I, you shall be together even in the silent memory of God. But let there be spaces in your togetherness, and let the winds of the heavens dance between you. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup. Give one another of your bread, but eat not from the same loaf. Sing and dance together and be joyous, but let each one of you be alone. Even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver the same music. Give your hearts, but not into each other's keeping. For only the hand of life can contain your hearts, and stand together, yet not too near together. For the pillars of the temple stand apart, and the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow. Khalil Gibran. Papa had been in the old country for six months. Olga's family was considered very well-to-do. Aunt Marguerite relates the story that when Olga came to Haskell, not only could she not speak English, but she had never learned to cook because her family had a number of servants. She was very well-educated, being able to speak, read, and write both French and Arabic. Keep in mind that Papa Tony could speak and write Arabic, but could only speak English. When she and Papa arrived in Haskell, the town literally closed down to celebrate by meeting them at the train station. The town doctor, Dr. Lee, was married to a woman who spoke fluent French and acted as an interpreter for Olga. Olga, according to Aunt Marguerite, which is Papa Tony's sister, spent some time with the Sobs, learning to cook and adjusting to her new life in this country. Brother Joseph comes to America. Papa and Shikri had the one store and were experienced quite a bit of success. They were acquiring buildings and land around Haskell. They had maids and plenty of household help. Their brother Joe, who was still in Lebanon, joined them in Haskell for the first time in 1910 or 1911. Joe had 11 children. Abella, Mary, Victoria, Khalil, and Assad all died within a 40-day period due to a flu epidemic in Lebanon. Damn. Assad only lived five days. Minerva and Thomas survived the epidemic. Children Mary, Abella, Khalil, and Obla were born later, and three of them were named after their deceased brothers and sisters. Well, Joe brought his wife, Almas, her name meant Diamond, and daughters Mary, Minerva, and son, Tom, to America this first time. World War I broke out in 1913, and Tom, Mary, and Minerva returned with their mother to Beirut. Joe stayed and established his own store in, in Haskell, selling groceries, overalls, and work shirts. By 1931, some of his family had returned, and he also had a store in Kawetta. In that same year, though, he went bankrupt and returned to Lebanon. Joe did not return to the U.S. again until 1960. Wow. 30 years later. During his visit, he fell and broke his arm. Three days after his fall, he died in St. John's Hospital, Tulsa, Oklahoma. He is buried in Calvary Cemetery, Tulsa. Shikari marries again. In 1914, Shikari met and married his second wife, Josephine Adame. Adame? They were married on December 6, 1914, at St. Anthony the Hermit Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Her parents had immigrated from the old country and settled in St. Louis, where Shik had met her. On January 24, 1917, they had a daughter, 
Josephine. A flu epidemic in 1918, maybe the Spanish flu, took the life of the baby's mother. She died in Haskell and was buried in St. Louis. In 1922, Shikari took his daughters, Helena, who was 15 years old, Josephine, five years old, and his niece, Bernice, Papa Tony's daughter, who was 18 years old, to Lebanon. They went to visit Shikari's home and relatives in Wadi Shur. Helena, Josephine, and Shikari stayed there three years. While they were there, two brothers from Kfarshima, a town near Wadi Shur, were also visiting from Brazil, where they had immigrated. They had come back to Lebanon to find wives. They met both Helena and Bernice and subsequently asked Shikari for both of their hands in marriage. Shikari clearly refused, saying that Helena was too young and that since Bernice was his niece, he could not speak for his brother Tony, so he would not give his permission. Shortly after, while Shikari was visiting other Fagali relatives in another part of Lebanon, one of the brothers, Elias Kalarj, at the encouragement of his relatives, married Bernice. Upon his return, Shikari was furious, since he was responsible for Bernice's well-being. According to Helena, Bernice had written her father, Tony, asking for money and permission to marry Boutris Fagali. Bernice never received a letter back and ended up marrying Elias, returning to Brazil with him. In this same visit, Shikari met and married Nasib Nassib, Fagali. They married in 1925 and along with Helena and Josephine, returned to Haskell that same year. Shikari and Nasib had two sons, Michelle, born in December 20, 1925, and Edmund, born in 1927. contracted contracted pneumonia and died, and died on January 24, 1928, at the age of 43. Three years after his death, 1931, Nasib returned with her two sons to Lebanon. Papa Tony and Olga's children. Papa Tony and Olga had 11 children. So Papa Tony had 12 total and 11 with Olga. Marguerite Anna, born August 28, 1910. Viola Mary, born March 18, 1912. Wadia George, April 27, 1913. Blanche Maria, November 14, 1914. Edward Maroon, January 25, 1916. Florence Maria, January 23, 1917. Madeline, Madeline, Lee, Josephine, October 6, 1918. Jeanette Marion, March 28, 1920. Maurice Anton, January 22, 1926. Olga Liz, June, June 1, 1927. Antoinette Maria, June, June 6, 1928. Now we've got some photos of Anton Shikari and Joseph. They definitely look like brothers. They look very similar. Anton has kind of conventional male balding, but Shikari has a little bit more hair. Anton has uh, kind of a softer gaze. Shikri, at least in this photo, has a sterner face. And Joseph, it's hard to make out his face. He's got his hat on. Looks mysterious. He's got a kind of uh, a dark black hat, wearing all black, and sitting on the porch, or standing on a porch in Oklahoma, presumably. All right, let's see. 
where we are. Okay. A few more pages in chapter two. Prosperity. From the time Papa married Olga until 1929, things went well for the Beshera family. Statehood, along with the discovery of oil in Oklahoma, created a boom in the area. Haskell became an oil boom town in 1916. World War I and its need for oil fueled the regional prosperity. Schick and Tony's partnership grew, and by 1924, they owned a one-story, 50-foot by 100-foot building. Another two-story building the same size. A larger 100-foot by 100-foot garage and a livery stable. For the times, these were very prosperous men. Marguerite recalls that there was not only plenty of food, but also a number of maids and hired hands to help around the house. She recalls Christmases that were, by most standards, lavish. All the girls got new dresses, the boys, bikes and toys. There were plenty of fairly hard-to-get things, like fresh fruits and candies. Papa's family in the old country would send small kegs of things like grape leaves, figs, olives, olive oil, dried fish, snails, and cracked wheat. So crazy in contrast to 2020 when we moved here in in our house in Los Angeles, we just literally, while I was walking around, I could just pull out my phone and order something from Amazon, light switches all the way to chairs and everything in between. It's um, from all over the world and from the best you know, highest quality makes and models for really inexpensive prices. It is just crazy how it went from being hard to get great candies, even growing up in the 90s. I remember if you could get actual amazing Godiva chocolate or something like that, that was a rarity. And now if it's the best in the world, it's easy to get in one or two days delivered right to your doorstep. Tony's and Schick's business was great. People came to trade with them because of their personalities and generosity. One of the stores had a confectionery in it, and on Saturdays, the people Papa Tony had peddled to in years past would come to town to shop. They would spend much of the day buying soda pop, candy, etc. at the Beshera's store, and at the end of the day, buy their groceries from them and go home. Tony's kindness and generosity paid off. In the early years, when he peddled, he would give his customers, his customers' children candy. In fact, one man, Thomas Gilcrease, who became one of the wealthiest men in Oklahoma as a result of the oil boom, recalled the times when he was a child, Anton Bashera, would come to their house to trade and give him candy. Those types of people remembered those acts of kindness. And when they came to Haskell to trade, they did it with the Bashera brothers. Shikari was a very bright businessman. According to Wadia, he was one of the brightest he knew. Although Tony, although Tony never learned to read or write English very well, Shikari did. He was a big guy, about 230 pounds, and according to Wadia, could have played for the NFL. He was smart, learned to read and write English quickly, and had an excellent mind for figures. Above all, he, like Tony, was a very hard worker. They made an excellent partnership. Viola, or Viola, Tony and Olga's second daughter, has vivid memories of the fun the family had. Every year at the 4th of July, Papa would celebrate by getting all kinds of cold drinks and lemonade and serve it to the kids. At dark, Papa would have lots of fireworks for everyone. Viola recalls the many picnics the family would have on some land Papa owned in this page in the country. It had a stream on it, and Papa would put the watermelons, mushmelons, and cantaloupes in it to keep them cool. In the summer evenings after supper, Papa would pile the whole family into their Model T Ford, crank it up, and take them all to Four Mile Corner. 
Here we have a photo of the Bashar Brothers store. And it looks about, looks like it's the 100 foot by 100 foot size, two-story version, or 50 by 100 maybe. The storefront looks about 100 feet. It's wide. There's about seven people standing out in front of it. And it says Bashara and Bro Confectionery. And then next to it, Bashara and Bro Mercantile. So it must be uh, kind of the the goods over on one side and the groceries on the other. And now there's a below that there's a photo. Looks like an old pharmacy with um, inside the Bashar Brothers store, and it's cafe tables in one line down a narrow uh, path, and uh, merchandising shelves on both sides, as well as countertops where people are helping customers. Another excerpt from The Prophet from Khalil Gibran. And Khalil Gibran is the man. So this is cool that it's interweaving Khalil Gibran, a Lebanese author, but uh, I think he also won a Nobel Prize in literature. Speak to us of work, master. This is another excerpt from The Prophet. Speak to us of work, master. And he answered saying, you work that you may keep pace with the earth and the soul of the earth. For to be idle is to become a stranger under the seasons and to step out of life's procession that marches in majesty and proud submission towards the infinite. When you work, you fulfill a part of earth's furthest dream, assigned to you when that dream was born. And in keeping yourself with labor, you are in truth loving life. And to love life through labor is is to be intimate with life's inmost secret. And when you work with love, you bind yourself to yourself and to one another and to God. And what is to work with love? It is to weave the cloth with threads drawn from your heart, even as if your beloved were to wear that cloth. It is to build a house with affection, even as if your beloved were to dwell in that house. It is to sow seeds with tenderness and reap the harvest with joy, even as if your beloved were to eat the fruit. It is to charge all things you fashion with a breath of your own spirit, and to know that all the blessed dead are standing about you and watching. Work is love made visible. And here's where the chapter ends. Viola remembers Papa's generosity when she recalls him having a load of bananas in front of the store. While he was waiting on, on some of the customers, some people were just taking the bananas off the pile. Viola told Papa that people were taking his bananas and not paying for them. Papa laughed and said, let them eat bananas. She also remembers that when Papa had his store in Bixby and commuted from Haskell, he often made a special point to stop at two or three different places to deliver bags of candy to the families he knew. Tony was well-respected and known in the Lebanese community. He was a prosperous businessman. His wife, Olga, was a refined, educated person. Most Sunday afternoons, found many Lebanese families from Bristow, Porter, and other surrounding cities congregating at Tony and Olga's home. The women would cook, and the men would play cards, eat, drink, and make it an all-day ritual. The discussions of religion and politics often gave way to arguments. Many of these friends were Orthodox Catholic, while others, like Papa, were Maronite. Marguerite remembers that things got so heated that Papa hung a sign written in Arabic in the living room that there would be no discussion 
of politics or religion. The times from 1916 to 1924 were the most prosperous that Bashers would know. They were also a foundation for the future, a future that nobody could have predicted to be so difficult. That is the end of chapter two. I hope you have enjoyed the second chapter of the Bashers of Haskell, and I'll see you next time. Chapter three, The Great Depression.